So we live in a society where uh, substance abuse uh, spreads like wildfire. Uh, very few of us are untouched by addiction some way, either directly or indirectly. We may not have the classic loud addictions of alcohol, drugs, sex, or porn, uh, but most of us fall into the trap of the more dangerous uh, and devious ones, the quiet addictions. Our relationship to food, work, success, uh, for example, can serve for the same purpose as oxycodone does for uh, a drug addict. And under each of these desires that's gone wild is a God-given longing for goodness and the restoration that Jesus has in store for us. We need to own this yearning. We need to accept it. We need to understand it. This yearning for holy love that God has put in us, we need to own that in order to experience the healing liberation of his holy love. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Love's healing power. Holy love's healing power. And I want to do a quick review and a summary uh, of what we've learned so far. Now, first of all, God's holy love is inconceivable. It's inexplicable. It's unexpressible. Uh, we can't explain it, but we can experience it. His holy love can be experienced. We can receive it. We are designed to receive it and to experience it. And the final goal of following Jesus as his disciples is that his love, his holy love, will become the motivation and the shaper of everything we do. Or to say it another way, Christ's love will have the first and last word in everything we do. Now, according to Paul, in this book of Ephesians that we're studying through this, uh, this series on holy love, according to Paul, God has, nothing, has uh, in mind nothing short of a full renovation of our human characters. He's, he, he wants to completely transform us. He proposes to radically transform us. It, to use a title from a television show, he wants to do an extreme makeover. Of our, our, of our characters and our personalities. He wants pe to move people from being persons locked in behaviors and addictions that are odds with his love and who are governed by unworthy motives and goals and move them into becoming persons who are home, holy and blameless in his love. First step in that is to drop the chains of falsehood and live in truth. And these chains of falsehood can be broken when we bravely confess our hurts, habits, and hang-ups to fellow followers of Jesus. And in Jesus, we can see that holy love holds hands with holy anger. Most of us have never experienced real holy anger. Most of it has been unholy. And most of what we express is fairly unholy. Broken humans tend to relate to others with, with one of two mindsets. One is a, the parasite's mindset that says, give me what you have. This is the thief. Or there's the predator's mindset that says, let me use my, my power, my control, my possessions to own you, 
and to abuse you and to do with you whatever I want. That's the predator. But see, the Holy Spirit wants to transform us from parasites and predators into God's generous kids. He wants to transform us and give us a partner's mindset that says, let me help you with what I have. God's grace generates generosity in his children. I want to remind you again, because I think it's something we need to remember uh, often, to be brought to mind often, and it is that our, this remaking of our character is God's gift to us. It is an act of his grace and his generosity. It's an act of his love for us. It is an expression of his love. It is not an exercise of our willpower, our grit, or our determination. We can easily fall into the trap of thinking that somehow if we, if we just make a list of rules and obey those uh, commands, uh, that that's automatically make us grow. When we do that, though, we fall into a swamp of, of rituals and regulations, and it all becomes about us and what we can do, and frankly, we're still stuck. We're still stuck with the falsehood of saying, I can take care of this by myself. Can't. We're, we're stuck with that, that, that mindset of, I need to control everything around me in order to become what God created me to be. When we turn to another command today, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 30. Um, Paul is continuing to talk to, uh, to us and to the folks at the church at Ephesus in the first century. He wrote to them, and we're hearing it as well. He, he brings up another command, um, one that most of us will probably think it would, it would be nice if he had left that one out, but he didn't. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Uh, unwholesome, I'm going to stop there and talk about that word for a moment, unwholesome. That sounds like junk food, right? Uh, don't let any junk food come out of your mouth. Uh, in, in one of the Gospels, Jesus told a parable in where the, uh, where a fisherman caught a great number of fish, brought them on shore, and began to sort them, and he tossed out the rotten, unedible fish. So when I say don't let unwholesome talk come out of your, 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 your mouth, ju just join me in thinking with me that, that this picture, don't let any rotten fish words come out of your mouth. Smell it. Want bad breath? Speak unwholesome words. Don't let any unwholesome, rotten talk come out of your mouth, but only, that's that word, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So that's what he says. Do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So here's the sermon in a sentence. I don't want you to clock out once I've shared this, but here it is. Left alone, 
left to our own devices, left alone, our speech is poisonous. But with the Holy Spirit, our speech becomes health-giving, life-giving, energizing. It becomes a blessing. It gives life. So somebody, hopefully somebody's wondering, how do I work with the Holy Spirit to bridle my tongue? Because frankly, sometimes it says things that I don't even do. When it, we wish that, that I'm sorry it said. Well, you know, I kind of would like to say, well, that was my tongue. It just got loose, and, uh, but it's still stuck inside my mouth, so I'm stuck with it. How do I cooperate with the Holy Spirit? First step, identify your rotten speech patterns. Um, Latasha Morrison said something. I like these short little uh, poetic one-sentence uh, statements, they stick in my mind really well. Here's one that stuck from uh, a, me a message I heard her share uh, a few weeks ago. God cannot heal what we conceal. Uh, it sounds like something that ought to be on the back of somebody's bumper sticker, but uh, you know, a car on the bumper sticker. Uh, but I, it's true. If we never identify our rotten speech patterns, we can't get healing for them. Now, some, some, uh, some destructive speech patterns, some rotten speech patterns are very obvious. Uh, they're widely recognized. Even people who aren't following Jesus recognize some of these things. They, they, we all seem to know when uh, speech is abusive or violent or vulgar or degrading, and we know that it hurts people, despite all those times that I said, sticks and stones may break my mouth. That words will never harm me then why do I remember? I think we don't understand how profoundly and deeply our rotten speech patterns hurt others or even us. And what makes this so complicated is that words don't travel by themselves. Um, it's one of the things that I find really frustrating about emails and text. I also found it, for those of you who are a little more old school, I also find it uh, frustrating with handwritten notes. Because you have these words, but you don't get to hear or see, you don't hear the tone of voice, and you don't get to see the expression on the person's face, and you don't get to see the motions of their hands, so you're not quite sure did they mean this, or did they mean that? Or did they mean something completely different? Uh, words travel in with a whole complex set of signals, uh, body language, emotional signals, by tone of voice and facial expressions, and, and, and thoughts. You, when we talk, we say things, we're maybe thinking one thing, and if the other person's thinking something else, that's when we get started. That's when we have these things where we have great one-liners from movies. What we have here is a failure to communicate, <laughs> right? Because I'm thinking one thing, you're thinking another thing, and when I say what I think is a good expression of what I'm thinking, you're hearing those words based on what you're thinking. And since it's not the same thing, it doesn't come across the same way. 
All of these things, our body language, our emotional signals, our tone of voice, these are very complex. They're very variety. There's a variety of ways they can be used, and it's just downright confusing. And then Paul comes along and says, stop letting rotten talk come out of your mouth. Stop sounding like a rotten fish. And it forces us to begin facing what's rotten in my language? What's rotten in the way I speak? Now, some of it is real obvious, as we said, and we just, but part of it is we tend to downplay it. Remember, we say the little sticks and stones poem, and it's no big deal. Uh, you know, my words will never harm you because, well, sticks and stones will, but, right? Uh, and we say it about ourselves. And it comes when we face squarely, we need to face squarely all these rationalizations that we make in, 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 for our speech patterns and start being honest. We need to stop saying, well, I just flew off the handle. Um, my family has always talked like this. You know I didn't mean it. It means coming to terms with the shame that drives this, the speech patterns and learning new ways of relating and choosing uh, the ways that uh, God wants us to have by his grace and by his love. They're also less obvious and far more common uh, forms of rotten speech, and some of them uh, are... Uh, tolerated, accepted, maybe even enjoyed by our culture. And, so, and many of these things that I'm about to talk about are necessary in special circumstances. Um, but even though our culture thinks they're normal and okay, they still can be hurtful. But for example, commands. Yeah, if, if, if your kid's about to run out in the street in front of a bus, you probably ought to yell at them to stop. That's a command. Stop! It's appropriate. But if the only way you ever talk to your kids or to your loved ones or to your friends or your coworkers or your employees is to be yelling commands at them like you're a drill sergeant from boot camp. It might not be, well, okay, it's not helpful, it's hurtful. Another thing we can do, we, we often do is downplay. You know, like what you say hurt you really didn't hurt you as bad as you think it did. When we say these things out loud and we think about them, it starts, you know, why would you do that? Uh, mind reading. Mind reading shows up in a couple of ways. When we, well, I know why you did that. You, you did that or you said that because. Or uh, I know what you're thinking. Well, Jesus knows, but no, most other people, well, like 99.9999999% of them don't know. Uh, interrogation. It is wonderful to ask questions. You can't get to know people without asking questions. But if you're not careful, if you ask too many questions, people start getting defensive. Why do they start getting defensive? Because if you ask like six questions in a row, Without ever answering any questions, it suddenly becomes like an interrogation. I am suddenly in the box with a detective who is absolutely convinced I've committed a crime and only is asking questions to catch me. 
derogation takes on this adversarial tone. And if we're always asking questions in with a tone of, I'm, I'm going to catch you. I know you did it. I'm going to catch you. Then it becomes a problem. There's, uh, this is one, I couldn't find a word for the one word for this, so I just made up my own big, long, hyphenated word. Know-it-all advice giving. <laughs> uh, some of us are really good at that. Uh, you should do this, you ought to do this, you, may, you should have said that, you could have done this, you, 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 obviously don't measure up to my all-knowing, good advice giving self. So let me help you. Uh, confusing, mixed messages. Uh, I have to use this one because occasionally, well, I this is one I work on. Sarcasm. Irony. Irony is a humorous tool in communication, by the way. It's where you, where, where you say something, it, it's, a, it's a comedic thing. It's used in literature and it's a fine thing. And irony is saying one thing when you obviously mean another. And it is meant to be funny. Irony is okay. But irony becomes sarcasm when it's soaked with anger. Uh, so here's these things that are both obviously uh, true and not so obviously true in terms of being rotten. And somebody may be thinking, well, you know, uh, well, here's the big deal. Jesus said, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. The mouth speaks from what fills the heart. The good person brings good things out of his good treasury, and the evil person brings evil things out of his evil treasury. Here's the kicker. I tell you on the, that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every worthless unwholesome word they speak for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned so not only is Jesus not, not only has God given us through Paul this thing that says only speak words that are encouraging and uplifting and benefit for the people that hear them but Jesus goes on and reminds us not only you're supposed to speak words of holy love but <laughs> Your words are either going to justify you or condemn you when you stand before your father. Rotten, unhealthy speech reveals our rotten, unhealthy souls. There's no excusing it, no denying it, no covering up, up, covering it up. It is all, if we can see it, we recognize it, it's all rotten. Well, that's not the end of things, and we, we see, we can learn to see and identify our rotten speech, but we also need then to learn to speak blessing, grace, and encouragement into other people. Learning what it means to live in holy love involves learning to speak, not, not, in way, not only in ways that don't harm people, but in ways that actually build them up and encourage them and bless them. There's Bible reading this morning from Ezekiel, where God told Ezekiel to prophesy over this pile of dead bones, and, and they came together. Then they had bones, uh, skin, and muscles on them, and then he prophesied for breath to come. That is a great image of the way our speech ought to be for people. People ought to hear new life. Well, how does that happen? 
Well, you need to listen. Now, first of all, you need to listen to your own words to sort the good from the bad, to find the rotten uh, words and get them out. We also need to listen to those around you to discover what their needs are so that you can know how to bless them, how to encourage them. And then you can speak creatively. You and I can speak forgiveness into being for some. We can even speak the forgiveness of God to another person in a way that it puts a face and a voice to his grace and his mercy. Those of us who are disciples of Jesus can speak freedom into people's lives, giving them the ability to think and to feel and to do what they've never been able to do before, what they thought they never could do. We can give them freedoms that they've never experienced in the homes that they grew up in that were dominated by shame and emptiness of freedom. They were always under somebody's control. We can speak into being liberty to act one's age, creating the opportunity for people to, to be who God purposed for them to be at this point in time. Guilt, shame, fear, and anger motivate most of our words if we stop and listen. But Jesus calls us to let his love motivate and shape everything we do and say. His love is to have the first and last word in what we say and how we say it. The Holy Spirit gives us ears to hear what we say and to hear what others need. And he gives us the love and power to speak blessing into existence for them. But he will not do it without our cooperation. Left alone, our speech is poisonous. But with the Holy Spirit, our speech becomes health-giving and life-giving. So I want to invite you, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. Because frankly, if you take this prayer that I'm about to suggest we pray seriously, it's downright scary. This ancient psalm writer penned a prayer. And the Psalm 139, the last two verses, I want to challenge you to begin praying this prayer about your speech. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive or hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to paraphrase it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my reasons and motives for speaking. Show them to me. See if there's any offensive or hurtful words in me and lead me in the way of your holy love. Search me, O God. It's scary because we have no idea what he's going to show. It's exciting because we know he's going to heal us. He shows us. Well, 
I want you to see what shirt I'm wearing today. We are here to infuse hope. We want to infuse people with the hope of Jesus. That's our mission. Even though we have to maintain social distance, it doesn't mean we cannot reach out and touch people with our words. And we can still act in ways that are very loving. You are still sent, church. You are still missionaries to this area. And so as you go live as sent ones, I pray that the beauty of Jesus will shine in your eyes and that the love of Jesus will shine in your actions and that the wisdom of Jesus and the love of Jesus will shine in your words. I pray that the grace of Jesus will flow from your heart into the hearts of those around you. Go. Don't just sit there. You're sent. Amen.